You are now listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Doc, sharing insights through real, honest, and practical ways to improve your communication and relationships. Featuring your hosts, Dr. Pamela Kreiser, Meredith Edwards, and Taylor Polendo. Today, we're going to be talking about stonewalling. Have you been in the situation recently where someone just throws a wall up? Well, we're going to look at instances of stonewalling, and we're going to also talk about strategies to get past it. So what is stonewalling? Well, stonewalling implies a dysfunctional response from the other interactant. To stonewall is to put up a wall physically or psychologically. Stonewalling is one of John Gottman's Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Now, if you aren't aware of the Four Horsemen or the research by Gottman, he contends that there are four horsemen or four behavioral patterns that can signal the end of a relationship. These are dangerous patterns. Gottman's research identifies these four horsemen that should concern us in our relationships. They are contempt, criticism, defensiveness, and stonewalling. I like to compare Gottman's four horsemen to having four different check engine lights on our relationship dashboard. Stonewalling is one of the potential flashing danger lights. When it's present or flashing, it's indicating a possible danger sign in the relationship. Now, does this mean the relationship's doomed? No. But Gottman's extensive research confirms that it's a serious concern. According to Gottman, it's such a serious concern that he labels it as a dangerous practice that could lead to the end of a relationship. So what does this look like in interaction? Some examples include physically leaving the conversation, putting up a physical barrier between you and the other party, such as a phone, a newspaper, or a computer, not focusing on your partner in the conversation, but focusing on something else, such as your phone or another part of the room, or possibly looking out the window, sitting in conversation glazed over or checked out, responding with a blank stare, holding back when you have something to say, refusing to engage in a certain topic. As we dig into the theory and research related to stonewalling, I want to clarify that stonewalling can come in different degrees. In other words, the brightness of the flashing warning light in our relationship dashboard will vary. Let's think about minor or less frequent or less impactful types of stonewalling. Some scholars suggest that minor stonewalling isn't that big of a deal. For example, someone might check out momentarily in a conversation. Sometimes people insert fillers like, "Uh uh-huh, mm-mm, Okay, but they aren't really listening. They're just pretending to listen. Generally, it's important to distinguish how the stonewalling functions in an interaction. For example, if I check out for a minute, that would have a smaller effect on the conversation and relationship than would an all-out refusal to discuss a certain topic. What's interesting to me is that most people report frustration with any level of stonewalling. Think about it. One party wants to engage and the other doesn't want to. Of course, there's going to be resulting emotions. Now let's turn our conversation to instances of greater concern. When the stonewalling warning light is brightly flashing on our relationship dashboard. Very simply, these are patterns where stonewalling is particularly dangerous or toxic to the relationship. Now this could come in different forms. One, it could be the cumulative effect of frequent stonewalling. Or two, it could be dangerous because of the stonewalling intensity. That brings us to the discussion of the concept that psychologists call emotional flooding. Emotional flooding is a physiological and psychological response to a perceived threat. It serves to warn us, to alert us. It triggers our defenses. The Gottman Institute defines flooding as, quote, 
a sensation of feeling psychologically and physically overwhelmed during a conflict, making it virtually impossible to have a productive problem-solving discussion, unquote. When this happens, your nervous system hits overdrive and you lose your capacity for rational thought. The Gottman Institute states that when you and I are emotionally flooded, it directly impacts our bodies. So that means we have higher adrenaline and cortisol levels. We have significantly higher heart rate, usually above 100 beats per minute, and significantly lower oxygenation of the blood, sometimes even under 95%. And out of all of that physical response comes the psychological one. When you become emotionally flooded, you're faced with a psychological response, fight or flight. Now, the fight response, obviously, is to put up a fight. But the flight response is to shut down. And in this shutdown mode, we can't think. We can't hear. We just can't communicate. It's the intense form of stonewalling. For 45 years, the Gottman Institute has been examining marital relationships In multiple studies, they have found that approximately 80% of stonewallers are men. Now, note, this doesn't say that 80% of men are stonewallers. It states that if you had, for example, 100 people who stonewall, approximately 80% of them would be men. Gottman's research has found three key findings. One, it generally takes less negativity for men to get flooded than it does for women. Two, men become more quickly flooded than women. And three, men tend to stay flooded longer than women. So think about it. The research shows that men get flooded more easily, more quickly, and stay flooded longer. Now this leads us to a key question. Why is this the case? I thought men were insensitive. Well, some would speculate that it's genetic, and others would say that it's due to social expectations. And it may very well be a combination of both. In our society, we have seen men berated for stonewalling behavior. However, we know that women can engage in stonewalling, too. Let's remember that everyone has their weaknesses. For example, women can engage in higher levels of criticism than men. When we combine stonewalling with criticism, it's a toxic combination. We know that from research, criticism combined with stonewalling is a strong predictor of divorce. In my opinion, there's no benefit to assigning blame to a relationship partner. Instead, it's important to see the effects, the effects of these behavioral patterns that are dangerous. So our focus then should be on how stonewalling affects our relationships. Many researchers have looked at the impact of stonewalling on relationship satisfaction. For example, in one study, Hooper and colleagues studied the relationship satisfaction of over 500 couples, and they found that refusing to talk to a partner was the single greatest negative impact on relationship satisfaction. So what do we do about this? Well, one solution you might be thinking of is to make your relationship partner listen to this podcast. And yeah, that's certainly one strategy. But remember that forcing a partner who tends to stonewall doesn't seem to be the most effective strategy. Instead, it comes down to jointly working on strategies for handling moments of stonewalling. Julie Gottman says we have to develop a plan. And here are her remedies. She suggests that we, one, stop the conversation— So stop the conversation with a phrase to indicate that you're being flooded. Say to your partner, I'm feeling flooded. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I need a few minutes. Give your partner a clue that indicates you need help. Second, take a break. Take a break from the conversation. But the key is to not think about the fight on the break. 
According to Julie Gottman, individuals who continue to think about their fights will continue to stay escalated in their physical responses. Third, she suggests make a plan. Before leaving, she says, the partner must make a plan to interact again after the break. Now, this is a key strategy because if you never come back, then you still remain in a dangerous pattern. And fourth, engage in self-soothing. Read a book, go for a run, do yoga, meditate. The key is to relax your physical symptoms so that you can return to the conversation with your partner. So that's a brief overview of stonewalling. So Meredith and Taylor, any of your friends do this in interaction? I know a few people who do that. (laughs) Out them right now. (laughs) All right, here are their names. Well, I'm trying to figure out the difference between defensiveness and stonewalling because I feel like it's when I notice people are getting defensive that they stonewall. Mm -hmm. Is there a difference or that just is one happens so the other happens? Well, I think stonewall is more of a checking out And defensiveness is a protection of self. Yeah. So it's more common in defensiveness for you to say, no, I'm not. No, I didn't. Mm. And and engage versus disengage. Oh, okay. Because when I feel defensive, I shut down. I stonewall. Mm -hmm. So I do check out. That's, I think, my response to being defensive. I think they go together potentially. I think you do have more than one horseman operating at the same time. Unfortunately, those are all check engine lights, right? So it's like, oh no, the check engine, the tires, every light's going on the dashboard. And so that might mean some trouble. I like that visual. It was really helpful. Yeah, because I remember in school thinking that I was basically screwed when we learned about this in conflict resolution. Oh yeah. But I like that you said they're just check engine lights. I'm like, oh, okay, we can work on this. We're not doomed. Yeah, I think you said that. Yeah. A lot of people do think that from Gottman's research because he really talks about them as precursors to relationship termination. So everyone goes, oh my God, relationship termination, it's over. And what I would say is in your car, the check engine light comes on and you continually never address it. Probably your car is going to end up ruined. Don't just let all the, the, the whole dashboard light up. Yeah. What about you, Mayor? I, I resonate a lot with what you were saying, Taylor, in terms of feeling like, oh, when I hear this word and I, I've learned about, you know, this research from you and your classes, Dr. K, but also just in knowing that this is something I struggle with. And so for me, I've never thought of it as the warning light. It's just my biggest failure. Mm. I feel like I really only struggle with it with with like dating relationships. Mm-hmm. I've never felt the desire to stonewall a friend. I, I think I have done with my siblings before, <laughs> regretfully. A separate episode, stonewalling and other misbehaviors. Yeah. But it's true that the times I struggle with this are the people that are the closest to me. And I, I resonate with that explanation you gave with physical barriers. Instead of using like a phone or something, I feel in me this thick thing rising like right in front of me. And you will have these voices in your head that are like, come on, just say something. And I probably have had people look at me and think I give that glazed over look like I'm not there. And I hate that because I feel it on my face, mm-hmm. but I don't know how to go to the mechanic to turn the light off. <laughs> she's right here. She's helping us. She's going <laughs> to teach us. 
I can even just reflect in dating relationships. The part of reasons why they hadn't worked out is because I couldn't address this in myself. Mm. Like something kept stopping me from addressing it. Mm-hmm. Now, I think part of it is, I think you've said this before, Taylor, sometimes it's a good part of getting older is just going, God, I, I really don't know all that much. It's okay. I'm good <laughs> with leaning into to that feeling. Yeah. Rather than feeling like I have to have it all together all the time. And so, yeah, ready for the mechanic. Take me there. Mary, I hear you. I, I think we have always room to grow, but was it refreshing at all? Because I particularly remember learning about this topic in conflict resolution about 10 years ago and just thinking I was so screwed. And now readdressing the topic, I feel like we've come a long way. I'm not as overwhelmed. I'm not as like, oh God. And I feel like we've improved. We've grown. I think you have for sure. No, I mean, yeah. both of us, all, all of us, we're, we're learning. We're the Taylor has. Yeah, Taylor, you totally You don't have. feel like you've grown since, since learning about this? I can say from 22 to now, yeah, I feel I've stepped in a better direction. I've, I've made at least a step or two in the right direction, but this is a thing that just eats me. What I'm learning about myself is that this is not just something to think about in terms of this is my weakness. I am a failure. You know, I'm, I am reframing <laughs> this area of my life and trying to talk to myself in a way in those moments when I feel that thick, muddy wall in my face. And I'm trying to use the reframing that we talked about last week now in saying to my own brain those moments, because I can't get out of my mouth the, hey, I'm flooding, partner. I don't know how to get to that place. Mm -hmm. So I need to start learning how to talk to my own brain and say, this is happening to you right now. You are not this thing. So how are you going to lean in to let this not turn into a check engine failure, break down the vehicle car thing? So yeah, my, my, my need right now is for maintenance. I'm here for a maintenance check. It's my <laughs> weekly checkup. <laughs> Do you feel like you don't, well, I guess no, because these are very intimate relationships with you. I was going to say, I tend to feel it in more relationships where I don't feel super safe, where I'll stonewall more. But you're saying that you do it in your more intimate relationships. Yeah, I'm just a little more messed up than you. Come on. Thanks. Thanks for letting everybody know. (laughs) No, 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 no. Come on. I think we have paid attention. Taylor's the cuckoo one. I think the big question is always, what does this thing do communicatively? Hmm. And so what does it do? It is a response to the threat or the perceived threat of the cost of vulnerability. Hmm. Can you dissect that for me? As you weigh that risk coming, you're like, oh no, here's a chance where I'm going to have to be vulnerable. Here's a chance where I might have to say something and maybe even look weak or be honest about something. What I think is interesting about the extreme cases of emotional flooding is this idea that we get this physical response and we can't even recover. Like our body says, no, you're done. Yes, exactly that feeling. When you said we lose capacity for rational thought, I was like, what are we supposed to do with that? Like we just can't even think anymore. So how are you supposed to improve or, or even 
take the steps because we've just lost all our rational thought. I think what's funny is that people instead, though, try to stay in the interaction and they say, come on, talk to me. What's going on? What's going on? And that's exactly what the person who's having this physical response doesn't need to hear. It's like, okay, well, I'm crashing and burning here. I'm in shutdown mode all the way. And then you're demanding that I talk more and I'm struggling. So that's where we, that's where we take the break. I think so. It's all about function, right? If that functions for you and the whoever it is that we're talking about with you, great. If it works, if taking a break that's longer works, great. If you saying I'm getting flooded helps slow that whole process down, great. It's really about what the function is of those different attempts communicatively. And I'm only about function there because I don't think it works perfectly the same for every relationship. Hmm. You could say I'm flooded to a girlfriend and they would be like, ha, ha, ha. pass me the Chardonnay, you know, <laughs> you're like, okay, I meant that I was flooded, right? I love that. It's different in context. Okay. Yeah. Can I just tell people I'm, I need some Chardonnay then? That'll, that's easier than saying how I'm really feeling. Can I just wrap around that vulnerability moment? <laughs> Speaking of emotional flooding, I like that you discussed it, educational explanation for what this was. And I wrote down brain, body, too much. <laughs> yeah. Overwhelmed. These are the conversations that people feel overwhelmed in. And what happens, I think, that's so hard for that moment is for us to engage in understanding the humanness that we all share. Mm -hmm. So you have people demanding, get out of that mode, like just talk, come on. And if you've had any instance of flooding, so maybe you've had that happen perhaps in a grieving situation, you can't just get over it. Yeah. Like that feeling you're having in that moment, you're not going to just be better suddenly because you told me to be better. I'm, I'm actually can't function. And on some level, I think we need to maybe get more in touch with that concept that as Taylor pointed out, all rational thought has left us. And since it's left us, don't ask for rationality. Mm-hmm. It's gone. So then we have to say, when will it come back? Will it come back if I leave? Will it come back if I take a break from this? Will it come back if we have a different conversation at a different time? That really helps the voice in my own head. I think a lot of times the person emotionally flooded gets a bad rap where it's like, come on, say something, say something, say something. And they literally have lost most of their ability to be able to do that productively in that moment. And that's why Julie Gottman's so big about saying you have to reset that communicative event. It's unrealistic to just think you're going to plow through it with a lot of talking. Mm -hmm. I really resonate with that. I like the Gottman Institute. You can go online and subscribe. They'll send you little helpful emails every week. (laughs) Yeah. I I get those like, oh, how can I help myself this week? I will say sometimes I feel like I don't share things. That was kind of one that I felt I used to do that a ton in all my dating relationships. I don't think anyone ever really knew me because I don't think I ever shared like who I really was until I met. Ralph. And then I was like, we're, we're putting it all on the table. He either likes it or he doesn't. I don't care either way. He could take it or leave it, but we're just going to be ourselves. She's ready to turn 40. (laughs) I know you're far away from that, but. No, I've already got plans for my 40th birthday. (laughs) Okay. The fillers. I 
was wondering about that. I feel like I try to show I'm listening to you by putting in a lot of fillers. Mm -hmm. Like, mm mm-hmm, those. Yeah, but I'm wondering if I've miscommunicated that and now they just think I'm not actually paying attention. Well, I think people do a test and they say, are you listening? So I do this with a friend I have. Oh, no. Oh. Who, when he communicates with me, does appear to be thinking about the barbecue more perhaps than me and what I'm saying or some news program or some other stimulus in the perceptual field. And I am not sure that I am being heard. I will often test that. You are listening, right? And when you get another, "Mm -hmm," then you say, do I run another test? You sure you're listening? You're tracking me, right? And then you become sort of this pestering because if they are listening, it's sort of like, wow, you're pestering them. And if they aren't listening, for me, I don't want to say the whole thing and then have the other party, my friend, not hear what I'm saying. And then I have to say it all over again. Is it fair to test people to see if they're listening? I think so. Or, I mean, that's what conversation is, right? Like, yeah, get get a little feedback. Ralph will tell me he thinks he'll get mad. He thinks I'm checked out on my phone. But I'll say, why was on my phone and you started talking to me? So I was never checked into this conversation. So now he'll just say, hey, tell me when you when I have your attention. I'm like, okay. So now I can like put down my phone. You have my attention. What do you want to say? That's so good. Tell me when I have your attention. It works a lot better than you're not listening to me. Why aren't you listening to me? As it used to go. Yeah. I wonder when the technology piece came up, a lot of research that has been done on that in the past where technology hasn't been as influential as it is today. And I was thinking about how much that's a player in this topic now, suddenly Hmm. being on your computer, being on your phone, being on your tablet, whatever. And we might use it as a mini avoidance to not get into hard conversations or to be not be available. I think that is totally true. I can think of just in the evening, it's much easier after a long day just to put on some TV instead of sit down and let's have a conversation. I got to work on that, the phone thing. What do you have to work on? It's actually kind of dumb. Like I'll be listening to Tommy and then somebody will text me. So I'll look at it while he's speaking, but I will look at it. And and instead of opening it, I just force myself to just turn the phone around. Do you ever use the phone to get out of talking about something? Not out of, but sometimes if I'm just tired, it's like an excuse to not engaging versus not. When I have the energy to engage, I'm practicing these tools. I turn the phone off. I turn it around. I silence the call when I'm not ready to engage and I'm just wiped from the day or I'm just being selfish, then I I open it. Mm -hmm. Taylor, when you're talking about your tell me when you're available technique, do you feel like you go on the phone to avoid interaction or topics? No, it's funny to me. I feel like I'm very present when I have his time. I use car rides for my phone time. So it's in the car and I guess in his head, that's talking time. So that's how it started because like if we're at dinner, if we're together, I have no problem putting the phone away and I actually get really frustrated with him. Like we're at dinner, put your phone away. So we didn't agree on what we do in car rides Mm -hmm. and he thought it was talking time and I thought it was zone out time. So I don't think it's an escape. I just plan ahead. That's when I'm going to check my phone and check into all the things going on 
And then when we're at our outing or whatever we're doing, the phone's away. Mm -hmm. In college, I used to pretend to sleep. That was my roommate and my tactic to get out of conflict. We are just like, would nap. What? Classic stonewalling. Family functions and stuff. We're like, we're just going to pretend to sleep through this. I'm not even thinking about a specific person, but I can think of people where you're together and you're like, this person is typically on their phone. Mm -hmm. I feel like they're just not, not there. I was thinking that I get more frustrated when someone tries to pretend like they're paying attention, but are still on their phone. I'm like, just stop and do whatever you need to do. That's totally fine. But the constant on it, looking at you like back and forth, pretending, doing the fillers. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. That <sighs> frustrates me. So that that's stonewalling right there. Yeah. That faux engagement. Yeah. Can we touch on the minor light? on your dashboard versus a very bright light and how frequency and intensity make a difference. Mm -hmm. You were saying that the research talks about if it's infrequent and it's minor, you know, shit happens. Yeah. It's almost like even if it is infrequent, but the intensity is stronger, that could still be a bigger problem. Yes. According to what I understand Gottman's research to show, and there's 45 years of it, so it's a little bit hard to say that I know all of it. <laughs> it appears from that whole set of literature that there's minor mistakes in communication, and that's not what he's referring to. So he's mm -hmm. talking about two other areas, which is frequent, meaning it happens a lot. So you have this interaction every single day or four times a day where the person's glazed over, not really engaging they're just not engaged. So he would say mm -hmm. that frequency makes it impactful to the relationship. And then the second case is when we have these intense forms of it. Mm -hmm. So if you had a, a whole bunch of situations where you had emotional flooding quite often or more frequent and intense, then we would see it likely to have a negative effect on the relationship and could result in termination. It made me think this thing could not be that big a deal if it was just few and far between and wasn't that intense. Mm -hmm. If I could get to that, I have worked on myself. <laughs> <laughs> but then also it made me think about the intensity specifically seems to be a very important piece because I like how you discussed that refusing to talk to someone is one of the greatest impacts, which seems like the most mm -hmm. intense. So just like a blatant refusal to have discourse. And that's a form of it. And when we don't engage with people and we do it frequently or regularly, or in a patterned way, that would be something Gottman would say as well. If it's a patterned avoidance, that's going to add up to a brighter light on the dashboard, mm -hmm. as is intensity. A lot of people say, oh, it's just a one-time thing, or I was just watching the game. Mm -hmm. and, and I hear all that, but I would say, so you didn't engage today because you had the game, and then yesterday you didn't want to talk about it because it's too hard, and then the next day you didn't want to do it because you had to go to the gym. And the next day, you just didn't want to go there. So my comment would be, that's going to get that light to be brighter if you keep coming up with a reason not to engage with the other party. Mm -hmm. And if you continue to pattern that, that gets dangerous. We like to create different explanations for why we don't do things, because I think it makes us feel like we're not just avoiding the communication. Because mm. if we had that as the reason, the reason I don't talk, the actual reason is I don't want to go there because it might make me look weak or vulnerable, but I can't say that. So I'm just going to have a new reason each day that I whip out. Hmm. And then somehow that fanciness will maybe be a, a lovely dressing over that problem to make it look like there isn't something going on there. Gottman's comment is watch for that threat to the relationship. And if it starts getting prominent and patterned, it's trouble.
So if you're you, we are somebody that is the receiver of a stone waller. I hear the tools that you gave earlier, which are stop, indicate that you're flooding, mm-hmm. take a break, do something separate from the conflict, make a plan to come back and then self take care of yourself. Yeah. So that's if you are the person struggling with the stone wall, stone wallage, if you will. <laughs> What if you're a receiver of a stone waller? Right. How are you supposed to navigate something like that? We talked before about well, the message received is the one that counts. So the person that's stonewalling is responsible for t- being self-aware mm-hmm. and taking care of themselves, essentially. To engage them and ask more questions was not what we were supposed to do as, as the speaker. Mm-hmm. Yes, but, but we just talked about if you're asking more questions of somebody that's flooded, you're destroying them. Yeah. <laughs> the person receiving the stonewallage is in a different place than any other communication tool I feel, I feel like we've talked about before because more yeah. information here isn't actually better. So what I'm thinking is that it's the same set of tools, but the magnitude to which we apply them is based on the magnitude of the stonewalling. In small instances that are meaningless or one-timers, we'll probably apply very few strategies. Okay, so they checked out for a second, they're back. Mm-hmm. Let's go to mild. Mild, we see it now and then. We might try a strategy saying, when is a good time to talk? Or when will I have your attention? What was it, Taylor? <laughs> I like that one. Taylor. Let me know when, you're, when I have your attention. Let me know when I have your attention. I acknowledge that I don't. Let me know when I do. I like that. Yeah. If the person that's flooded can't acknowledge that they're flooded, then a receiver of someone in that type of relationship has to be able to know. Yeah. And I like that idea because I think too many of us will look at a relationship partner and say, they're getting flooded. What's the matter with them? They're not listening to me. Instead of saying, wait, this is someone I care about. I noticed they're getting overwhelmed. The first thing that you would do would stop talking. Hmm. And if you're criticizing and that's what's promoting this stonewalling reaction, I would definitely start there. And you can facilitate someone through those strategies. So you could say, why don't we talk about this after lunch? Why don't we talk about this in an hour after I get back from the grocery store? Giving them the strategies without having them have to ask for those strategies. Kind of like a weird connection to apologies. Like you're offering the repaired part of the relationship Mm -hmm. because you're saying you're not weak here, but you're stuck. And you need someone else outside of your own body right now to make a plan for you. I, I, I feel that because I, when I do that wall glazed over look, I'm looking for that other person to just for some reason say something to me like, hey, let's just leave this alone. We'll come back to it like in two hours or something. You know, yep. why don't we go take a walk or like chug a beer or something? <laughs> you know, anything, anything that isn't this thing. I just want them yeah. to come up with something, but I don't know how to say it. So this is really, really neat for me to talk to people in my own life to say, maybe I can't say I'm flooding, but for them, for me to reach out and say, I need you to come up with something that isn't whatever this is. And I'll come back to it. But I love the idea that we can facilitate help to a flooded person yeah, and say, I see that this is becoming too much. I don't think we can say, I see you're having a total meltdown now. I don't think we can say (laughs) something like, wow, you're really, (laughs) you're gone, baby. I don't think we want to do that because that could trigger a different problem. (laughs) Trigger fight. I'll go from flight to fight real quick. (laughs) We go back to fight, right? I would be careful about labeling the behavior, but I think you could comment on its functionality. You're hearing a lot of this on this podcast. The the idea that how it functions is the answer. I don't do things that will derail us. I do things that will help us function Hmm. by saying something to my partner. Like I can see this isn't probably the right time to talk about this. 
or it seems like this isn't going to work for you right now. Pretty gentle phrasing as opposed to harsh phrasing. Having a plan is very crucial because some people use this as a form of extended patterning in stonewalling mm-hmm. where they say, we'll come back to it later and they never do. And Gottman would say, you're playing with fire right there because mm-hmm. now we have a big treasure chest of hard topics that we never crack open. And so that's part why he says it's such a dangerous potential dimension of the relationship. The other thing that I would say that's really tough, and I would say this, I think women do this more, and that is can't leave it alone. Yeah. So you remember Julie Gottman said, when you leave that conversation, don't think about the conflict, get yourself physically calmed down. Mm. Yeah, that's hard. Don't remove your body from the room and then go sit in the other room and replay the interaction. And what I would say about women is that means then if my partner's flooded, to not give him or her a ton of comments that keep heightened that physical response. Let it go for right now. Actually stop talking about it. Mm-hmm. Don't go, oh, and another thing. And we also, when we come back, we have to talk about this and this and this and this. I'm facilitating a longer physical response in that flooded person that's not helpful mm-hmm. to them. Yeah, like when you go have a beer or you do something else, don't have a discussion about yes. how you were doing in that moment at all. Make it totally separate. I like we wrote that down. Do something different. Some people listen to music, some people work out. I, I don't think we want to be critical of that sort of strategy. We want to just understand it. Two and four that take a break and self-soothe seem connected to me in that way. Because mm-hmm. I, I feel that in my break, I need to do something that tells my body that I'm safe again, that mm-hmm. this is going to be okay. The break for me, I need, almost need to tell myself so I don't do that recording in my head where we play the events or the conversation or keep spinning my, the wheel, mm-hmm. is the break needs to be something that's relaxing to your body, like physically, that's, mm-hmm. that's good for you and healthy. Yeah. And I think that's different for everybody. Some people love that run. Some people love that just meditation or just get some air. That's a little bit of know thyself. If you're the partner facilitating the flooding management for your partner, Mm -hmm. I would say study your partner and have two or three recommendations, you know, are good for them Hmm. that you've seen work before. So you got into a hard conversation. You saw that party get, you know, the other partner get flooded And you know, they love to go for a run or, you know, they just picked up yoga. Yeah. Let's take off to the beach. Let's talk about this later. Let's do that when we have a little more time and and energy to deal with it. I really like that. That's a nice way to love another person. I think it felt very loving being the stonewaller hearing that those could be ideas. Well, and that your partner would love you enough to have studied you to think about what is helpful to this person and what is not helpful Hmm. and more criticism women. (laughs) is not helpful right there, nor is stewing over the topic. And we could argue the research that is about how long men get flooded or tend to get flooded and say, you should be over this by now. You should be ready to talk about it now. And becoming impatient with our partners is a bad idea because if they're not ready, they're not ready. It's called reality. And I'm not saying you're never ready, but I do think we have to exercise a bit of patience and say, just because I'm ready to talk about it doesn't mean my partner is. And I love them enough to wait for them to be ready. Yeah, that's my TC4G this week was the taking a break. I think I can stop it and I can make a plan of when we're going to talk about it. It was the stop thinking about it that I really struggle with. I don't know about you ladies, but I can take the break, but 
I don't know if I can turn off running it through my head and coming up with what I'm going to say next. And this is how I keep going with it in my head and running off. That's what I'm going to work on. Mm -hmm. What about you, Dr. K? I think I like the idea of scheduling harder conversations. We used to argue about cars a lot. I mean, really a lot. And as soon as we got into the car topic, we would get into these crazy arguments because I don't think we should run cars into the ground. I think we should sell them before they die and become like life support cars where you have to keep taking them into the shop. And he fundamentally believes that that's fine. Just you buy the car and you just run that thing 400,000 miles if you can get it out of that car. We have different views about that. How that translates for me is that we ended up saying we're only going to talk about cars twice a year. And we put it on the calendar, June 1st and December 1st were the only days of the oh, year. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and we literally did that for years. It was on our automatic calendar and we would have a conversation, but we scheduled it because it was so combative for us. I never want to hang out with you on those days. <laughs> I love that. That's interesting for me to combine the lessons of this podcast with the lessons that I've learned from the past, where not having that conversation in that moment has been helpful and strategic. My TC4G is to look for ways I can manage that and not demand that things be talked about in that moment. How about you, Mayor? Okay. So I am cheating and I am taking two trading comforts for growth this week. And one is for me to seek help. And one is for me to see it in the people that I care about. The one for me is to tell specifically my partner. I think for me, it's mostly my partner and my siblings that I need to have some sort of code word. I don't know if I'm going to be able to say I'm flooding or whatever it is, but I need for you to make a plan to get out of this. I need, I need for you to create a break for us because I don't want to keep doing this thing that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. because I don't like doing it. I, I need help kind of cracking that. I need, And I like that through this episode and through this lesson, it doesn't just feel like something that's just a failure or just broken in me, but it's just a communication struggle that I have and, and I can work through. So I want to start letting people close to me know this is something I struggle with. When you notice it, please help me. This is what I need. So articulating what I need yeah. is one. And then the other is I want to really listen and see those moments and offers these steps, whether it's asking in some sort of gentle, soothing way, asking someone, you know, hey, do you want to just take a break from this for a second? And knowing that that's not a weakness in them, that that's just, that's okay. As long as we make a plan to come back to it. Mm -hmm. I don't hear weakness in those. I, I hear higher level functioning. I totally do too. But in the moment it feels weak. Yeah. It reminds me of what you said in defensiveness. Like if we're not able to operate in a healthy conversation right now, like there's no reason to keep going with it. And the only like healthy thing to do is to take a break because neither person is going to achieve what they really want mm -hmm. in that moment. People could say, oh, you should be able to have this conversation around this topic <gasps> or you should. should. I know, shoulding. <sighs> But if it doesn't work the context of your relationship or the context of your family or your friendship, then pick a better way to function. That's effective. Yeah. And, and can this be the moment where everyone knows that key <laughs> phrase you told us 10 years ago? To not let anyone insert the word you think might be shit is actually should. So then tell somebody, don't let somebody shit on you. Yes. You know how many times I've told that to myself or to clients? Don't shit on me. I should just be better. I should not be able to use again. Don't let somebody shit on you. <laughs> yeah. 
And and that probably deserves to be its own episode. A friend of mine, Emily, was the one who I would credit with that exact phrasing. And it applies so much to what you and I expect about ourselves. So yeah, don't shoot on me. I'm not going to shoot on you. Stop shooting on me. They all work. That's a wrap. I like that. (laughs) Yep, that's a wrap. And here are some concluding thoughts. Today, we have identified instances of stonewalling and emotional flooding. We've also talked about how we can manage stonewalling through better self-management and facilitate better care for our relationship partners. We have determined that shoulding isn't a reason to act in a relationship, but the challenge is to study our partners and to make strategic decisions instead. Well, thank you for joining our podcast today, and please remember to rate, share, and subscribe. And as always, thank you for listening to Asking for a Friend. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Our email is hello at afafpodcast.com. This show is for educational purposes only and is copyrighted. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Thanks for listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Talk.